Let's open our Bibles to Revelation 15 with that much of a background. I'm not going to reread what Paul has already read for us, but in chapter 15 is sort of a prelude uh, for the bold judgments. And um, here, I'm going to read the first verse and just deal with that. Verse 1 Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is is complete. Go back and notice where it says another sign in heaven. Um, This will bring us to the end of the great tribulation period, chapter 16, and then we'll see the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, where it says, then I saw and verse one, assumes that John is still a spectator to these events. He is attending the dress rehearsal of the last act of man's little day upon the earth. What does it say? Our life is a vapor, and it comes and goes that quickly. Another sign connects the chapter with Revelation 12, verse one. And I'm gonna have you turn back there, just go back a couple pages. And here, the connection is, now I saw a great sign. This connects with the the sign that is made reference to in verse one of chapter 15. The first sign, which is the opening of chapter 12, was Israel. These seven uh, angels of wrath are connected with the judgment to follow until Christ comes in chapter 19. So from chapter 12 to the return of Christ is a series of events which are mutually related. This does not mean that they are in a chronological order. Now what I'm about to say is important for us to understand that the scriptures are not necessarily chronologically laid out. In some cases, yes. Um, Let me give you a couple examples. Um, We find, um, rather than a chronological order, but rather a logical order of retracing the same events but with added detail. We'll see this when we get to chapter 17 and 18 because it's gonna come back and give us detail of things that we're reading right now. This message is a personal signature. Uh, It's the same event, but with added details. Uh, This method is a personal signature of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Uh, When we read Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, we are given the account of the creation, the seven days describing God's workmanship. Then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit lifts out the account of the creation of man, and went over it again, only adding detail. This is known as the law of recapitalization, and it runs all the way through the scriptures. For another example, we have the giving of Moses' law in Exodus, and then in Deuteronomy. The interpretation of the law was 40 years of experience in the wilderness at a great deal of detail is added. Also, when you come to the New Testament, 
we find not one, not two, but four Gospels uh, recording, recording because it takes four to give the many sides of the glorious person of Jesus who came to earth over 1900 years ago. Everybody with me so far? So chapter one, we get some, a layout. But then all of a sudden you get to chapter two and it's going back to chapter one and giving a whole lot more information. That's what chapters, when we get done with 16 and when we get into 17 and 18, that's exactly what's happening again. All right, we made it all the way through one verse, not bad. Verse two through five. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Uh, For your judgments have been manifested. And after these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with a golden girdle. Now, in verses two through six here, it's important that we get a glimpse of the importance that they're talking about the temple. The temple is referred to 15 times in the book of Revelation. Uh, Its prominence cannot be ignored. Now, in the first part of Revelation through chapter three, the church is a subject and there is no mention of a temple. But beginning in chapter four, the scene shifts to heaven, and we see the temple in heaven. Also, there is a temple on earth patterned after the one in heaven. There is no temple in the New Jerusalem where the church is going. Why? Because the church is not identified with the temple. This fact makes it abundantly clear that beginning with chapter four of Revelation, God is dealing with his people, Israel, who had a temple, and only to Israel had God given a temple, pattering after the one in heaven. Now, if you're taking notes, where they're singing two songs here. Uh, Verse four, they're singing the song of the Lamb, but it also says it's saying the song of Moses. If you're taking notes, it's a lengthy song. That's why I'm not going to turn to it and read it. But if you want to write it down, the cross reference is Exodus. And let me just say this now. When most of our study is going to be from the book of Exodus. So once you get to Exodus, put your marker there because we're going to be going back and forth between the two. So it's Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It's the song of Moses that was sung 
after God delivered his people out of the land of Egypt. So when they would have went through the Red Sea that was parted, somewhere after they got on the other side, they came up with this song. It's recorded, and it's called the Song of Moses. It's a song of deliverance. And um, so that is, that is mentioned uh, here in verses three and four. Now, last two verses of chapter five, seven, verses seven and eight. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, Seven, as you know, has been a prominent number throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, Seven angels, seven golden vials. Let me again call your attention to the repetition of the number seven. It is the number of completion, and something, completeness is perfection. For example, in six days, God created the heaven and the earth, but rested on the seventh day. Not only because it was complete, but because it was perfect. But here, in the Revelation, the series of seven denotes a completion. Uh, My feeling is that we have a complete history of the church in the seven churches. I really believe that, that when you start with Ephesus and end with Laodicea, that it represents church as a whole. As a matter of fact, these um, seven churches, all in Turkey, all within an 80-mile radius, and when one letter was read, it would be passed on to the next church. But more than that, there's a time order that goes along with this. The early church, Ephesus, was known for losing its first love. And we have church history And not everybody holds to it, and I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic about it. But I see how they started to get away from the Lord um, in chapter 2. But the last church, Laodicea, pretty much describes the times in which we're living right now as far as church age goes. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? So basically what we're saying here is seven. It's the number of completion the church as a whole, applicable really to all of us. Um, We have this complete history uh, here also now of the great tribulation period. Each one of the series of sevens, in other words, each covers it all. First, in the seventh seal, we see a broad outline As we read along in the prophecy, we see now that God zeroes in and focuses on the last three and a half years. So we had the seven seal judgments. We've had seven trumpet judgments, which I like to call the third judgments. And now what we're entering into in chapter 16 is the climax of human history. And... um, Basically, chapter 15 is nothing more than 
an introduction. So if we look at the first one, um, we read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome, loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Judgment number one. Now, it seems the bowl judgments that we're going to be studying here are very similar to the judgments God placed on Egypt. Remember when I told you we're going to be going back and forth to Exodus? Well, here's our first time. I'm going to have you turn to Exodus chapter 9 and mark it because we'll be going back at least three or four times. Exodus chapter 9. Let me draw your attention to verse 8 through 12. Verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust and the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores of man and beasts throughout the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that broke out on the sores of men and beasts. And magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the musicians and of the Egyptians. But the Lord had hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So go back to um, Revelation 16, and we have our first judgment that we find is very, very similar to one of the plagues that took place as God was demonstrating his power in delivering the children of Israel. Now, as we look at verse 3, we have the second bowl judgment. And it says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, I would like you to um, um, remember uh, that this judgment was also recorded in the trumpet judgments where one-third of the ocean was destroyed. Now I'd like you to go back to Exodus, but this time Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 7, I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 7, picking it up in verse 14. So the Lord God said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out 
to the water, and you shall stand by the river banks to meet him. And a rod which has turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of heaven has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the rivers, which the rod that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the rivers of uh, Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over their pools of water, that they may become blood. And they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod, struck the waters uh, that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of the servants. And all the waters that were in the river was turned to blood. The fish that were in the rivers died, the river sank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay, 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the waters because it was bitter. So we have this repetition from Exodus, which now brings us to the fourth bowl judgment. Let's go back to Revelation, verses eight and nine. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with heat. And they were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give God the glory. Now in Luke 21, I'll just quote this one, the Lord predicted during the great tribulation there would be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 24. This was also prophesied by Isaiah. And we're looking at just two verses here. Isaiah 24, verse five and six. It says, the earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the law, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. So here Isaiah 
is foretelling this fourth judgment. There's one verse, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, and I'm gonna have you turn over there quickly. Malachi chapter four, verse one. Tells us, this by the way is the last chapter um, in the Old Testament. Verse one, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. So again, we have this foretold in um, the Old Testament as prophecy. Let's go back, and we're um, making our way now to the fifth bull judgment in verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Two places I'd like you to turn the Old Testament. First one is back at Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, looking at verses 21 and 22. Exodus 10, 21 and 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. I'm gonna come back to that in a bit, but I want you just to try to imagine that a darkness that could be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days and they did not see one another nor did anyone rise from the place for three days but notice this, but the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. A darkness that could be felt in Egypt but Goshen's wasn't that far away and they had light um, that was there. Now, we just finished the book of Joel this last Wednesday, and I'd like you to turn to Joel chapter two, and we'll read two verses from here. Again, Zechariah, Joel, um, Malachi, uh, all, all of these are talking about this great period of time that we call the tribulation. So in Joel chapter uh, 2, I want to read verses 1, 2, and 13. Joel 2, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. And here we have Joel prophesying about this day of darkness. A little sidetracked here that happened to me. Uh, my first secretary here in the early 80s was a gal named 
uh, Claudette Allen. And um, she has two sisters. They're all from Switzerland. And um, uh, they all moved to Wisconsin. And they wanted to buy land and become farmers in Wisconsin. And um, they were from the Green Bay area. They gave it their best shot for about two or three years. Uh, Long story short, they couldn't make it work. But while she was here, Claudette became my first uh, secretary. And one of the godliest families I know. I would stop at, they live in a place called Algetshausen, Switzerland. And so eventually they all end up moving back there. And yes, I'm going somewhere with the story, so hang on. Okay. Um, Claudette um, became a secretary for, I don't know Hans's last name, but the name of the organization was called Torchbearers, okay? And Torchbearers is a, a youth ministry for Christians. Let's say we would take this ministry, Torchbearers, to Colorado. And the idea is it's sort of a summer camp for Christians, keep them busy, keep them occupied, give them Bible studies all the time, Everybody with me? So this guy named Hans is an expert downhill skier. Matter of fact, he skied on a daily basis with Franz Klammer, the gold medal winner. And Franz's brother, he was actually there when he was killed in an avalanche. They're they're extreme uh, skilled skiers. But Hans was the director of Torchbearer and Claudette was a secretary. So we wanted to visit Claudette, but that particular day, what they were doing for fun is um, um, a word that I didn't know till this morning. I was just going to call it discovering caves, but actually there's a, a word for it. Um, oh my goodness, I hope I can pronounce it. Shagamig? Is that caving? Oh, I'm glad a lot of you guys are shrugging your shoulders because <laughs> the girls knew it and I didn't. Okay, what is it? Han, Hans, what is it? What is it? Yeah, she's saying it right. I'm saying it wrong. And she's a girl. <laughs> okay, so basically this is what we did. Uh, this particular day, we put these hard hats out with lights on and uh, Hans actually discovered this particular cave. So it's about this wide, this tall, so we're on our hands and knees going a couple hundred feet, probably from here to the back sound room there. And um, the idea is whenever you get to a spot, Hans gives the kids a Bible study. So we come into this area and all of a sudden it opens up and it is just as large as our sanctuary. To the roof, and to this, it just opens up into this huge spans. And he has everybody get settled in. And then he begins to give a Bible study on hell. (laughs) And to dramatize his study, right before the end of the study, after he's laying it all out, a place of outer darkness, he says, all right, I want every one of you to turn off your lights. And so all of a sudden we went from 
uh, light reflecting off this huge cave and you could not see the front of your hand. And people got scared, people got nervous, and um, after putting that on them for about a minute and a half, which sounded like eternity for us sitting there, he says, okay, you can turn your lights back out again. And he says, that's what outer darkness is. Only it's gonna be that way forever. It was a pretty descriptive Bible study, let's just put it that way. And so as we're making our way back out, I'm impressed, because I love skiing too, and I was impressed with his ability in skiing, so we're small talking. And I said, Hans, I gotta tell you, man, I've never experienced anything like that with that much total darkness. Because usually there's a little light coming in from somewhere, you can see at least see your hand or whatever. But I've never experienced anything like that. And it reminds me of this verse that... um, Uh, comes out of Exodus 10. It was a darkness that could be felt. He says, that's in the Bible? And I said, yeah, you don't know that? You you gotta add that to your scriptures. So he went out and looked it up and sure enough, it says that there's a darkness that could be felt. My friends, it's a heavy book. And I tell the story only to get sidetracked just for a little bit because what the, this world is about to enter into, this great tribulation, um, we're going to be summing it up uh, very, very shortly. But it can't be put in human words. The magnitude of eternity being in outer darkness and the, the, the torment that's going to go along with that. Um, let's go back and we'll finish up chapter... 16, we left off. Let's go to the sixth bowl judgment. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and his water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Um, I'm going to just read a little bit about the Euphrates. It's probably the most, next to the Nile, the most mentioned river in the scriptures. The Euphrates is called the Great River in the Bible, just as the Mediterranean Sea is called the Great Sea. The prominence of the Euphrates River in the Word of God should not be overlooked. First mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, it is designated over 25 times in the Bible. In the verse before us, it seems in connection with the sixth plague as it was prominent in the first state of man on the earth, so it is featured in this last state, that of the great tribulation. It was a cradle of man's civilization and obviously will be the grave of many civilization. It was a border between east and west, 1,800 miles long, over half of it is uh, being able to be traveled on. It was wide and deep, which made it difficult for an army to pass over it. So now what we read that um, the Euphrates, verse 12, um, its waters was dried up. Why? So the ways of the kings from the east might be prepared. We're building here. And we're having the kings of the earth gather together and to a place that's gonna be called Megiddo, 
Armageddon. Um, But let me just uh, read verse 13 now. And when I do so, it says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the whole kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. I'm going to stop here before I read the last two verses and I'm going to show you a picture of the valley of Armageddon. So I'm going to put that up on the screen right now. It's an amazing view. We put this up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Mount Carmel. If you go straight across um, the Jezreel Valley, otherwise known as the Valley of Megiddo, uh, you will see Nazareth. Um, Those mountains uh, directly on the other side. If you continue to go down from here, you would actually run into the Sea of Galilee. And I put the picture up Um, for the reason that the nations of the world are gathered together, and according to Psalm 2, if you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. Uh, Why do the nations um, uh, in vain gather to fight against the Lord? The Lord says from heaven, he'll hold them in derision. He will laugh. It's, It's the most unbelievable thing any human being can think he could do to fight against the creator of the universe. Good place for an amen. I mean, it's laughable. But nonetheless, that's what these three demons were able to do, persuade them to come to this place. But in order for that to happen, um, the Euphrates has to be dried up. And this is just for what it's worth. This could be... um, I think it's supernatural myself. But they do have a dam in Turkey that they can close anytime they want to. And that would take care of uh, the drying up of the Euphrates. Not saying it is, I'm just saying that there is a dam that that exists there. Uh, I'm gonna leave this up um, here. And verse 15 is for you and for me. It's how many of you have red letter Bibles? Okay, how many of you do not have red letter Bibles? Okay, now I have to tell you this. There has not been red letters since chapter three. When we began chapter four, verse one, black and white. That is until you get to this verse right here. And we're, it's leading up to the next verse is gonna say, gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So why would the Lord and the Holy Spirit put a red letter in there that's meant for the church? What does it say? Behold, I'm coming as a thief. I wish you would get here before noon. How about you? (laughs) Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. Why is it so important now more than ever with everything that's going on in our world to have a biblical perspective of what's coming down? And we are to watch. Watch for what? 
oh, watch for manipulations in the political process so that it comes around that we could all evolve. Um, Familiar with the terminology, Operation uh, Reset? Okay, if you haven't done your homework on that, you want to do that. Um, The political left is no longer um, Democrats. Uh, They are run by a group of men uh, that have a plan to bring about a one-world government and a one-world religion. And we'll be looking at that when we're in chapter 17 and 18. I belabored the point a little bit this morning because um, how, do we, how do we allow this, with all the stuff that's going on, um, to capture our, our attention to such a degree saying, look, I realize I have problems. And I realize I'm more stressed out than usual. Uh, as most of you can attest to, you have family members or you yourself are going, going through it. Being able to put that on the back plate and the back burner and say, you know what? There are, it's actually things that are more important right now. And that is that um, my loved ones, people you care about, think about that aren't saved. And as graphic as chapter 16 is, if they are not raptured, that's where they're going. So the scripture that comes to mind is this. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even as the manner of some is, but do it all that much more. Do what more? Fellowship more. Um, As you see the day approaching. Simple question. Do we see the day approaching? What are we supposed to be doing? Fellowshipping even all the more. I I have to admit Gang, I'm, I'm disappointed when I hear some churches aren't open right now. When now more than ever before, um, um, practice social distancing, wear a mask if that makes them feel comfortable. But please, if you're a pastor out there listening or a leader in a local church, say people are starving for fellowship and they're starving. They can watch live stream, but let's face it, live stream is not being able to say hi to one another on a Sunday morning. There's an encouragement that comes with that. And we're to be doing it all that much more as we see the day approaching. The day's approaching. And we're gonna have a lot of forces um, that are gonna come against the church politically. Um, um, I think uh, the church could be in a lot of trouble depending upon how this thing all shakes out. But anyway, Mark verse 15, what are we to do? And the answer is watch and keep your garment clean. What does that mean? Don't think about going back to your old ways. Don't think ever about doing that, no matter how difficult it gets, um, so that your nakedness would be seen. In other words, the righteousness of Christ. Which brings us to our last one, Um, The seventh bowl, verses 17. I'm just going to comment on that first of all. This is the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven 
from the throne saying, it is done. Sound familiar? Okay, let me just read just a little bit. Let me give credit where credit is due here. This is from J. Vernon McGee. A great voice came out of the temple from the throne. That voice is not identified for us, but I personally believe that it is the voice of none other than the Son of God. His message is recorded, it is done. This is the second time we've heard him say this. When he was hanging upon the cross, he said, it is finished. In Greek, it is one word, tetelestai, it is done. At this point in history, redemption was wrought and salvation was finished for man. Now, as we read the rest of this, we find afterwards he says, all right, it's done. I finished the job on the cross and now I'm finishing the judgment for those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, and then there was noises and thunderings and lightnings and it was a great earthquake. Such a mighty earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. Can we just stop and let that one settle in? There's never been an earthquake like the one that's going to come. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, all of them. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And then the final judgment, great hailstones from heaven fell upon men. Every hailstone about the weight of a talent. A talent can be anywhere between 75 pounds and 125 pounds. Now that's gonna do some major damage. That will definitely take out your windshield, I'll guarantee it. And men, instead of repenting at this point, going through all this, instead of repenting, they blasphemed God because of the plague of hail since the earth was exceedingly, uh, since the plague was exceedingly great. You get pulverized. They blaspheme. One of the things I think is curious here is that they blasphemed God. Do you know what the Old Testament penalty was if you blasphemed God? Stoning. And I find it interesting that the very final of these judgments, an earthquake that causes every city to fall, every island to perish, and then be plummeted with 100-pound boulders on planet Earth. And so um, global warming is not what's going to destroy our planet. That's <laughs> not what's going to do it. Will our planet be destroyed? Yeah, but the reason that I wanted to play that little video, because this is a, a seven-year period of time that comes to an end right here. Remember when I began, I said things aren't necessarily in a chronological order, but now we're going to read 17 and 18, and it's going to come back to these chapters and give us more detail. That's not being, this is sort of an overview. Now we're going to have the detail being added to it. I will close with this thought this morning. There is nothing man can contribute to his salvation. He must simply receive it by faith. You can have a finished redemption 
but if you won't accept it, there will be judgment. For those who have refused God's salvation, there is nothing they can do to escape the judgment of God. It is done. No wonder the writer of the Hebrews wrote, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Hebrews 2 verse 3. Jesus Christ is the judge, and the judgment of the great tribulation is not concluded, is now concluded. It is done. In his announcement, there is nothing ahead but judgment except the great white throne judgment. Those who die here, who um, took the mark of the beast, so on and so forth, when we get to Revelation 20, um, it talks about one of the promises is you won't be hurt by the second death. So all these men that died here, they just didn't cease to exist. No, um, they're going to be taken before the great white throne judgment and the books will be opened and if their name, and they'll be judged according to their works. And if their name is not found in that book, um, that is called the second death. They died here once, but then after the great white throne judgment, that's called the second death. Matter of fact, one of the promises that he made to one of the churches If you overcome and you're faithful to the end, I will keep you from the second death. Meaning, they'll be raptured and they'll never have to go through any of this time. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. As hard as it is to read, we can't help but agree with the angels in chapter 15 that say, true and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. And help us understand that nobody gets away with anything. Help us understand, Lord, that we've all sinned and fallen short of um, your requirements for salvation. And apart from the saving grace of what you've done for us, which just gives us a grateful heart, Lord, may we be moved by what we read in Revelation sixteen fifteen. Uh, the message to the church to watch. And as we see these things happening, to continue to have boldness, to share what's coming down the pike, and um, uh, comfort those that are going through terrible times right now that don't know you, and we, we pray for them also. So go before us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.